Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, January 17, 2013. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 101. We are in the second full paragraph that starts, In Our Belief, Any Scheme of Combating Alcoholism. And that's on page 101. The share code, the reference code for yesterday's meeting, which was Wednesday, um, the 16th of January, is 3685. That's 3685. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I would now like to ask Irini to please read the 12 steps. Thank you, Janice. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, and I am a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I thank you and I pass. 
Thank you, Eddie. I'd now like to ask Margaret to read the 12 traditions. Thank you, Janice. Good morning, Envision for you. My name is Margaret, a compulsive overeater in Illinois. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters afflicting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, finding outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Margaret. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book and we are in Chapter 7, Working with Others, and we're on page one. 101, and we are on the second full paragraph on that page, and it begins with a sentence, in our belief, any scheme. And this morning, I would like to ask Esther to please start us out. Good morning. My name is Esther. I'm a compulsive overeater in Canada. In our belief, any scheme of combating alcoholism, which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation, is doomed to failure. If the alcoholic tries to shield himself, he may succeed for a time, but he usually winds up with a bigger explosion than ever. We have tried these methods. These attempts to do the impossible have always failed. 
So to me, this paragraph really is a continuation of the, the previous paragraph, which we read yesterday, and that is the purpose of the 12-step program is not to come to a state of sobriety or of abstinence because that isn't, you know, we're not going to achieve the psychic change that will enable us to, as the big book describes, recoil as if from a hot flame. Um, you know, we will con- if, we, if we're just abstinent, we will constantly, if we're only abstinent, then we'll constantly be tempted um, because, as they mentioned in the paragraph before, we'll still have an alcoholic mind. Nothing has changed in our heads, just in our bodies. And any program, any way of doing this program, which proposes, as this paragraph says, to shield us from temptation, is going to be doomed to failure. So I can, um, you know, keep all the snacks out of the house and make sure I don't go to any places uh, where there's going to be lots of food. But if uh, I haven't done the steps and recovered and, you know, exchanged my old attitudes and ideas for new ones, then, you know, any attempt I make to stay away from food is going to result in failure. I mean, I'm like those, uh, you know, sniffer dogs at the at the airports that look for drugs. I will find food somewhere, somehow, and I'll tell you that um, there's no place that you won't find food in every occasion, in every place of work. There's always a party happening. There's always something going on and... and and um the uh you know the attempts to to keep away from temptation are are just simply not going to work and in some cases it's going to you know here it says begin a bigger explosion than ever it's going to get set me off on a binge so i definitely tried those methods before i came into the 12 step program of recovery and i did a similar thing once i was in the program of recovery where i i thought that merely being absent would be enough but um, that was white knuckling it. I constantly had to stay away from situations and and, and people and and, and uh, you know foods at home. But what I found that once, as I reco- once I got to that state where I was recovered from that mental obsession, then then I was able to be around um, those people, places, areas, foods that other people were eating, and it, and it didn't have that effect on me. It was as the book big book describes that I was able to recoil as if from a hot hot flame. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Esther. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Well, this is Janice, and I'll be happy to, to start this Monica. morning. I was... Oh, go ahead, Monica. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. In our belief, any scheme of combating alcoholism which proposes to shield a sick man from temptation is doomed to failure. And so uh, I've looked up scheme, method, plan, tactic, theory, and I thought, oh, yeah, you know, all the different types of food plans I tried, all the other different things, you know, the uh, um, the, the the medication, the pills, the uh, the exercise, the uh, uh, therapy, the uh, hypnotherapy, you know, all these things that I tried, all these things that I tried, always looking for that miracle, you know, maybe this is going to be it. 
these different methods, these different plans, you know, my tactics, you know, and I would, every time I'd start a new, a new diet, I would, you know, I'd have, get all my papers out and I would graph this and I would graph that and, you know, oh boy, I'm going to have 20 pounds off by Friday and, you know, my, all my plans and these themes, theories didn't work. They didn't fight alcoholism. They didn't fight my compulsive overeating because it's in my brain. It's in my head. It's a mental obsession. You know, these things would all work for a while with the physical part of the disease, but they never um, gave me relief from the mental obsession. You know, this is a spiritual disease that we have and only a spiritual solution is going to help us here, you know? The main problem centers in my mind, and all these physical things that I tried did not work. You know, just like the guy, the, the, uh, the man of 30, you know? He put the drink down for 25 years, but he hadn't done anything for the spiritual part of his problem, and so he picked up again. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Monica. Well, this is Janice, and I am a compulsive overeater. You know, any, our belief, any scheme of combating alcoholism which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation, you know, where do we fit into the scheme of things? You know, that's the question that I asked myself when I read this paragraph. You know, am I spiritually awakened, or am I relying on fear or self-will or or whatever else I've always tried to rely on to shield me from the inevitable, from the inevitable, because I don't know about you, but no matter how long I was abstinent, you know, I was always waiting for the shoe to drop, the second shoe to drop, because I knew inevitably experience had shown me that I would pick up again. So the shield that I'm looking for is the God of my understanding today. You know, and it's reminding us here that if the alcohol if the alcoholic tries to shield himself, you know, if that, if I'm if I'm operating with self will and I'm trying to just shield myself, I may succeed for a time, it says. But what happens is the disease is progressive and fatal. And inevitably it'll be a bigger explosion than ever. It'll be a bigger explosion than ever. And it says we have tried these methods. You know, they're talking from experience here. They have tried these methods. These attempts to do the impossible always failed. You know, the, the impossible becomes possible, but only with a higher power. Only, for me, with that spiritual awakening and that spiritual experience that I have now as a result of working the steps. So no more combating my disease with my own fight, with my own struggles. You know, today I, I long for that place of neutrality, safe and protected, and I know how to get it. I know where it comes from. And so I hope that that's the message that I can pass because this chapter is working with others. You know, what do I have to share? My own experience. And my own experience is that nothing, nothing shielded me from my alcoholic mind until I found that power greater than myself. You know, geographic cures didn't work. 
my own self-will didn't work. You know, nothing worked until I found this way out. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Helena. May I share? This is Katie. This is Nicole. Helena and then Katie and then Nicole. Thank you. Good morning. Um, This is such a beautiful chapter. And um, I am thinking in particular of my experience. I think in a way I have a question here, but I'm going to speak of my experience um, remembering always that we are working with others and that we are working with newcomers. Um, the paragraph before this, we meet these conditions every day. How true for all of us. Therefore, in our belief, any scheme of combating alcoholism which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation is doomed to failure. And what a miracle. And I want to say that I have seen this happen over and over again, as we start to work the steps, as we get an understanding of the doctor's opinion of how sick we are, that we have both a physical and a mental condition, but very often the compulsion is lifted at once. It would have to be in many cases because we meet these conditions every day. With food, it's even more true so than with alcohol. Everywhere we go, at my job, suddenly uh, an Eskimo shows up with a bottle of scotch. You know, somebody brings in the snacks. They're having a party everywhere I go. There is food all around us in this culture. And yet our newcomers very often can meet these conditions every day as they begin to work the steps. And yet we cannot stay there. It's not about abstinence. It's about a spiritual demonstration and we make perhaps a fair start as it says on page 120 to wives perhaps your husband will make a fair start on a new basis he stopped drinking he started to work the steps but just as things are going beautifully he dismays you by coming home drunk so sometimes these things do happen but it says don't be alarmed if this person really wants to get over alcohol Your husband will see at once he must redouble his spiritual activities if he expects to survive. So we do not have to be afraid of food anymore. That is the miracle. And yet we also have the paradox that we must keep working these steps with all our might, lest we slip. And the steps are spiritual and not physical. Um, I don't know if I made any sense, but I just want to say that I have seen this miracle happen sometimes, and it's in many of the stories, as soon as I made a decision to go through with it, I had the feeling that the alcoholic problem had been solved, as indeed it turned out to be. That's a quote from one of the stories. And yet, you must not stop there. You must keep going. And as you keep going, you will be asked to meet conditions every day where you run into food. And you will be able to, as you're working these steps and as you're recovering, you will be able to recoil as from a hot flame pass. Mm, thank you very much, Elena. Katie. Hi, I'm Katie, a grateful recovering compulsive overeater in uh, or recovered in Virginia. Um, well, I feel like we've all said the same thing, but I just know that I spent um, 20 years trying to find the perfect diet that would not... Um, 
tempt me, but that always was a temporary solution. And I um, am able to walk into any situation now and the desire to compulsively overeat is gone. Um, And I can't fabricate that on my own. It had to come from a higher power. So it says in this last sentence, these attempts to do the impossible have always failed. Because my... (laughs) The truth is I could look really like everything was going fine around everyone else. So it certainly wasn't the, the situations that caused my problem because I didn't even eat in front of people. A lot of my eating was in secret. And so there's never, uh, there's no way to um, avoid having those uh, situations around. But uh, what this is saying to the For us as compulsive overeaters, you know, when the newcomer comes in and says, give me your diet, you know, that to me is a red flag. Like they don't understand what this program is all about, that it's a um, mental problem, that we are mentally different from others, that we don't have the same uh, way of thinking about life. And I just, picture this as being looking at the external and not the internal and I could only change when I was willing to look at what was going on inside of me and with that I'll pass Thank you Katie Nicole Good morning Janice Good morning Vision for You This is Nicole, a very gratefully recovering compulsive overeater This is a really interesting paragraph And as I was thinking about it um, last night and this morning, I started to ask myself, why? Why do we need to be shielded from temptation? Why would we want to shield ourselves from temptation? And I started to think about temptation. And, you know, temptation itself is not a bad thing. We're, We're bound as human beings to face alluring and enticing things along this journey called life. Everybody faces temptation. What happens, though, is that our particular temptation taps into something in our inner nature that makes us respond to that temptation. In other words, I've, I don't have in my nature um, any, any tendency for, let's say, smoking. So I'm not tempted at all by a cigarette. But because I'm a compulsive overeater, there is that mental twist inside of me that food is very tempting to me because I'm not yet recovered. But what I found to be really interesting was when I started to think about temptation and that it is common to all of us and how, of course, we try to shield ourselves from it, why can't we do that and why do we ultimately fail? Well, I think it's because as we know from the big book and from our steps, that the only bedrock, the only thing that we can settle ourselves down upon without falling is God and the steps. Anything else that tries to prevent the temptation ultimately fails because we need to fix that inner problem in order to truly not be affected by the temptation. And a little analogy popped into my head when I thought about this. When I was at church a This this happened a few years ago. There was a gigantic tree that fell down on the church property. 
And as I was walking through the parking lot with my dad, I said, wow, can you believe that gigantic tree came down in that wind last night? And he said, sure, I can. And I said, oh, my goodness, Dad, why? Why did that make sense to you? He said, well, it's very simple. He said, that tree used to have a lot of trees around it. And when the church removed those trees, it left that big tree unprotected. And no matter how big that tree is, that tree never learned to form deep roots so that when the wind hit it, that it would not fall. And I feel like temptation is our opportunity. It's that wind that pushes against us, that shows us what, what is the failure inside of us that is giving to this temptation. Just like that tree, when all of the shielding was taken away from it, it never formed those deep roots into a firm bedrock so that it would not be shaken by temptation. And I so look forward to the day that I can say that I'm recovered and that the winds of the food no longer affect me. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Nicole. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? This is Paula and Leah. Go ahead, Paula, and then Leah. Okay, I will make this quick. This is Paula recovered, and uh, so much has been shared. But, you know, I kept looking at that first line, so our rule is not to avoid a place. Now, you would think we're talking to alcoholics here, or, or recovered alcoholics, whichever, and it usually was the rule, don't go there. Whatever you do, don't go there. Stay away. Big sign, stop. No, not to avoid a place. But look, there is something else in that first line. Where there is drinking if we have a legitimate reason for being there, that's the word that I have to look at. That's what I have to, legitimate. Do I have the right to be there? Is it reasonable? And this is what Mr. Webster says, logically correct. Is it justifiable? Conforming to or in accordance with established rules, standards, and may I add, principles. When we come into here, this is where the dynamic duo comes in. Abstinence, oh yes. But abstinence has to be right alongside, right alongside that spiritual experience. And then when you are recovered and it is solid, and as was said, the roots are deep here. The roots are deep. And that they are. Then you can go anywhere. Anywhere. Because then you do not go as the 10 step. You go protected. You go protected, safe and protected. And there you are. And with that, I will end and anxiously await the next comment. Thank you, Paula. Go ahead, Ms. Leah. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Janice. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Again, Chapter 7, Working with Others. When I'm working with someone, uh, it's teaching me here, the you know, what the goal is. It says in our belief, any scheme of combating alcoholism which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation is doomed to failure. So obviously, initially, in guiding a newcomer, um, you know, I have to give them uh, guidance and, and direction and, and offer them a, a way of navigating through the landmine out there. But but the bottom line that the big book is teaching me here is from their experience in our belief, any scheme, any method of combating alcoholism which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation is doomed to failure. It fails. Why is that? Well, because the greater aspect of the disease resides in my mind. 
I'm not going to be able to solve a spiritual illness. The big book says we have a spiritual malady. I'm not going to be able to solve a spiritual malady with a physical solution. Shielding is physical. Shielding is physical. Staying away um, with the purpose of the, that being the answer is, is a physical answer. Well, the big book makes it clear. I have a spiritual malady. I have a gangrene of the spirit. If I have a spiritual illness, the only solution to that is going to be spiritual. Because treating compulsive overeating with shielding is like putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. The treatment is not adequate for the condition. Because the disease really is not about me versus the food. That's not really what the disease is all about. The disease is about me versus me. I'm at war with myself, my beliefs, my attitudes, my ideas, my emotions. And all action is born in thought. So the program of recovery is about living without having to compulsively overeat. It looks like it's about not compulsively overeating, but this is not about not compulsively overeating. This is about living without having to compulsively overeat to stand it. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. All right, we're going to move on to the next paragraph. Rebecca, would you please read that for us? Good morning, this is Rebecca, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. So our rule is not to avoid a place where there is drinking if we have a legitimate reason for being there. That includes bars, nightclubs, dances, receptions, weddings, even plain, ordinary whoopee parties. To a person who has had experience with an alcoholic, this may seem like tempting providence, but it isn't. And I can relate to um, certainly receptions and weddings, even though I'm not an alcoholic. Um, a lot of these situations serve lots and lots of my binge foods. And I just want to uh, go back to the end of page 100, where um, there's a preface here that gets us to this paragraph that says, assuming we are spiritually fit, we can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do. So um, this isn't suggesting to a newcomer who's still in their disease that they can um, attend these different events that have a lot of temptation, um, even if they believe they have a legitimate reason for being there. This is for, if I understand correctly, the person who is spiritually fit, who has recovered from their disease and can um, is not um, tempted by um, these foods and being in these situations. So um, now that I'm spiritually fit, uh, and if I have a legitimate reason for being at um, a place where there's um, a lot of binge foods, my binge foods there, I can be there. And it is no longer tempting providence for me. And with that, I will pass. Thank you, Rebecca. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? 
This is Kim. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. So our rule, our rule is not to avoid a place where there is drinking if we have legitimate reason for being there. And that precursor, the if, if we have a legitimate reason for being there, is in italics. They're really trying to stress, absolutely, we can go wherever in the world we need to go, but we have to ask ourselves if we have a legitimate reason for being there. And as it was stated, this is in the chapter working with newcomers, I mean working with others. And it's not just newcomers. You know, one of my joys, one of my passions is working with the members like me who stayed in the room 10, 15, 20, 30 years and are not getting it. You know, they're constantly coming in and out of the rooms, in and out of the fellowship, trying to work this program of absence and then going back out. So let's look at, you know, what you were doing was working for you, fine. But if you're coming in and out and can't stay abstinent, I'm assuming it's not working for you. So let's look at it, if we have a legitimate reason for being there. You know, well, my son plays baseball. I have to help out. I'm, you know, I'm one of the, the teen mothers. Okay, well, what is there to volunteer for? Well, I work at the snack bar. Well, is there any other activities? Well, they even sell raffles, but I've always worked at the snack bar. Maybe why don't you try to work and sell the raffle tickets? Because we as compulsive overeaters gravitate towards the food volunteering. You know, when I was in college, we had fundraisers. We sold bracelets. I never volunteered to sell bracelets. I always sold M&Ms. And let me tell you, that's an expensive fundraiser when you eat up all the M&Ms and have to pay for them. You're not selling any of them. You know, with these, a lot of these home parties, you know, they, am I always going to the pampered chef and the tastefully simple? And I don't even notice that someone's having a jewelry party or a candle party. You know, when I go to a relative's house, you know, I, what, what is my goal? What is my aim? What is my legitimate reason? I want to be there with my family. So if that means I go for two hours and I'm really present with my family and I don't stay there for six hours for the long orgy of food, that's fine. That's fine. You know, when I you know, started out and, and I would meet friends, well, I need to be social. Well, I started going to coffee instead of lunch because what is the reason I want to be there? I want to be social. I want to connect with my friends. I can connect over coffee. When I'm connecting over lunch, all I'm worried about is shut the heck up. I'm trying to eat. Shut the heck up. I'm trying to eat. So what is that legitimate reason? And then I shared in the aftershock yesterday one of my funny ones was to give up Super Bowl parties was really tough. And it's, I don't want to be alone in the Super Bowl. But once I went through this work and I went back to a Super Bowl party, I realized I don't like football. I just wanted to sit there and eat, and I like Super Bowl parties because no one wanted to talk because they wanted to watch the game. So the fact is, I don't like football. I have no legitimate reason to go to a football party. So we need to look at that as a great precursor because then when we're going someplace, we can truly join with our fellows. We can truly bond with people because we are not there for the distractions of food. Actually, we're not there for the food, for the distraction of people. So this is a very important question to ask ourselves. So our rule is not to avoid a place where there is drinking or eating if we have a legitimate reason for being there. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Yes, hello, this is Gwen. Go ahead, Gwen. 
Listen, thank you so much. Um, uh, this is Gwen from New York, and I'm not even counting the days that I've been attending meetings, but I'm getting close to 50. I'm still a newbie, even though I've been familiar with the program for about 40 years. I have to, it's just, it's, I thank God that I'm on this meeting today because I've been dreading going to Costa Rica next month because vacations are always associated with my biggest binges, let's put it that way. And all of a sudden, in this minute, in this time, every, every contribution that's been made from the reading tells me that I have a legitimate reason to go to Costa Rica next month and to be there and to be on vacation. And the reason for going is, should not be about food, but should be about continuing my, my program and my alcoholism, although for me my addiction is food. It isn't alcohol-wasism. It's isism, and I have to continue to stay present and open to, to my God and spirituality every single day, and I think that I have something to hold on to. So once again, I'm grateful, and I thank you. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Gwen. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? It's Monica. Go ahead, Monica. Thank you, Janice. Good morning, everyone. Again, it's Monica. So our rule is not to avoid a place where there is where there is drinking if we have a legitimate reason for being there. And there's two ways of looking at this, you know. If you're a newbie, if you're a new person coming into the program, and if you're um, a recovered person. But, you know, what is your motive? What's the ul- ulterior motive going on in your head here for going there? You know, like we said before, I had motives, you know. I went to weddings not to enjoy um, the love and the, and the excitement of a couple getting married. I went for the wedding cake, and that was it, you know. What is your motive behind going there? If you're a recovered person and you're going there to be of possible help or service to someone, that's a good thing. But if you're not recovered or if you are recovered and you're you're you know have some ulterior motive that's not the best thing then it's not something you should be doing so i guess but basically i'm just trying to say what's your motive behind this what's your reason what's your real reason for going there is it worth it if you're not recovered why tempt fate don't put yourself in a situation when you're not ready for it and with that i pass Thank you, Monica. All right, we're going to move on to the next paragraph. And Penny C., would you read that for us? Good morning, everybody. This is Penny C., a recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. You will note that we made an important qualification. Therefore, ask yourself on each occasion, have I any good social, business, or personal reason for going to this place? Or am I expecting to steal a little vicarious pleasure from the atmosphere of such places? If you answer these questions satisfactorily, you need have no apprehension. Go or stay away, whichever seems best. But be sure you are on solid spiritual ground before you start and that your motive in going is thoroughly good. Do not think of what you will get out of the occasion. 
Think of what you can bring to it. But if you are shaky, you had better work with another alcoholic instead. Um, this, this, all, all of what we've been reading reminds me how important it is for me to have a sponsor and to be talking to other recovered compulsive overeaters because I, I can rationalize anything. I, I, I could find a good reason for being there where nobody else in, 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 in my whole world would, would think it was a good reason. So that's the important thing about for me to have someone who is objective, who has recovered, who can tell me that my thinking is, is correct and, and who can help me assess assess whether or not I am in fit spiritual condition and I'm not shaky before I embark on any of these adventures. Because when I used to go to places where there were lots and lots of food, uh, as others have said, weddings, um, any kind of celebration, there was always food. It was an adventure. It was, let me see what, what what's there. Let me see how I can um, manage to eat uh, and taste everything and not let anybody know how I could hide the fact that I was overeating. So that's, that's what I get out of everything we've been saying is that idea of you know, make sure, make sure I'm constantly in contact with other recovered compulsive overeaters so that I don't, it's not all my own idea of whether or not I'm in fit spiritual condition and whether I have a legitimate reason for being wherever I am going. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Vered. Go ahead, Vered. Hi, this is Vered, a compulsive overeater. Well, this is a little tricky when I look at it. You know, sometimes there are... Um, you know, reasonable reasons why I should be somewhere. But I, I remember myself deep in the illness. Thank God I'm recovered now. Uh, but my mind was not clear. So what does it mean a legitimate? Um, what, what's legitimate? And I think I need to ask myself if I'm at risk or not. Point. It might be a very, very important occasion. It might be even, you know, um, a wedding of family members. It might be something very, very meaningful and important. But if life and death are in front of me, and I know that if I'm going to touch my binge food, that's the end of it, and I'm not going to be able to really be there and to be a service to others during that occasion, I'd rather not be there. And even if we have to be somewhere, we need to make sure that we are aware of where we are, in what situation, what kind of support do we need before, during, and after. Because when we are not stable yet, when we are not recovered yet, every strong emotion that comes by really is, can be very problematic. And one of the gifts of being recovered is the emotional stability. But if I don't have it yet, I really need to reconsider and really ask myself, if, if, is it really legitimate? 
And do I threaten myself by going there? Because if I threat myself, the answer is it's not legitimate. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Baron. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Press star one to unmute. It's Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much. So our rule is not to avoid a place where there is drinking if we have a legitimate reason for being there. And again, um, again, you know, the big book put that in italics to reiterate uh, the importance of legitimate. You know, do I have a, a valid reason for being there? Um, and these are discussions and contemplations that we have, you know, throughout our recovery, as you remember, when this whole uh, part of the discussion began, the big book on page 100 said, assuming we are spiritually fit, you know, it, it, it led us into this discussion with, with that prerequisite here. But it's still saying, so our rule is not to avoid a place where there is drinking if we have a legitimate reason for being there. Um, further down, it will say, uh, you know, in the paragraph that we're studying right now, it says, you will note that we have made an important qualification. Therefore, ask yourself on each occasion, have I any good social, business, or personal reason for going to this place? Now, these kind of uh, conversations are not just conversations to have with oneself, but this is where a recovered sponsor comes in to discuss the motives of going there, to discuss the atmosphere. See on the bottom there it says, or am I expecting to steal a little vicarious pleasure from the atmosphere of such, um, I'm sorry, of such places? You know, am I, am I looking for that companionship and that colorful imagination and that conviviality? We have to be very careful with atmosphere. For instance, uh, atmospheres that involve family. You know, when you go and you interact with family, family has a certain dynamic to it that, you know, oftentimes pushes our buttons. Well, if you mix family dynamics with, uh, a, you know, a feast on one's table, that can be a nasty brew if you're not spiritually fit. So we have to examine and discuss what's the motives, what's the atmosphere going to be like there. You know, are we on spirit, for solid, firm spiritual ground? Because early in the recovery process, obviously, obviously, newcomers cannot trust their logic. Cannot trust their logic. The big book says we can't differentiate the true from the false because the conscious mind, our conscious mind, has been operating in a deluded manner for years, for many people, decades. So with the help of a recovered sponsor, we can get that strong support that we need. We can get that guidance that's so vital, especially in early recovery during that convalescence period when, you know, people are stabilizing and withdrawing. Um, you know, it, it's, it's vital. It is vital. Because if you're like me, and I don't know if you are, but if you are like me, your greatest obstacle to your recovery will be your own judgment. 
<laughs> Isn't that true? Well, be your own judgment. Doing what you think is best for you is what got you here. That was certainly true for me. Doing what I thought was best got me 20 years of mayhem, absolute mayhem and chaos. So how sinister it would be if we turned over your prescription for your recovery to your judgment. The same judgment that got you here when you didn't want to come here in the first place. The judgment that you exercised, if you're like me, all your life. Making decisions you wanted, doing it your way. We have a defective judgment uh, operating between our ears in early recovery process. So we need assistance from those who have blazed the trail ahead. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. This is Janice, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I'd like to piggyback a little bit on what Leah was just talking about, about checking out our thinking. You know, it, it, I have to also be aware of who am I checking out my thinking with. You know, if I have established a, a good network of people who are recovered and who are recovering with me perhaps, but who are recovered, definitely my sponsor, but then other people too, because you know I can color I can color my own how invested I am in going somewhere and and present it in such a way that it might my, my thinking might uh might sound pretty reasonable but if I have people who know me and know me well then then I can really truly check out my thinking and if you answer these questions satisfactorily it says you know, if I'm asking myself these questions, if I am on solid spiritual ground and I'm asking myself these questions and I'm coming up with, you know, it, it seems reasonable to, to be here and think of what I can bring to the situation. But then it says, go or stay away, whichever seems best. You know, that is, that's a very telling sentence right there because it says I'm in that place of neutrality. I can go, and if I go, this is what I can bring to the situation. This is how I can be helpful and useful, showing up with my whole real true self. But if I don't go, that's all right too. You know, it's it's that neutrality. It's that place where I'm not heavily invested in convincing someone that I need to be there. That's always telling for me. But if you are shaky, it says, if you are shaky... If you can't yet trust that feeling of, of neutrality, safe and protected, if you're not there yet, then maybe you better work with another alcoholic because that always saves the day. That always gets me on solid ground. That always gets me in fit spiritual condition. But I love that it says, be sure you are on solid spiritual ground before you start and that your motive in going is thoroughly good. You know, and that, that becomes more obvious as time goes by. It becomes more real. It becomes more truthful to me. So with that, I'll pass, and we'll move on to the next paragraph. And Katie, could you read that for us, please? Hi, this is Katie, a compulsive overeater. Why sit with a long face in places where there is drinking, sighing about the good old days? If it is a happy occasion, try to increase the pleasure of those there. 
it's a business occasion, go and attend to your business enthusiastically. If you're with a person who wants to eat in a bar, by all means, go along. Let your friends know they are not to change their habits on your account. At a proper time and place, explain to all your friends why alcohol disagrees with you. If you do this thoroughly, few people will ask you to drink. While you are drinking, you are withdrawing from life like little by little. Now you are getting back into the social life of this world. Don't start to withdraw again just because your friends drink liquor. And, you know, I'm glad we, we, we moved on to this paragraph because this is, you know, this is what happens, that it's, we, uh, we have to, to work, in working with others, we help them navigate through every situation that comes up. Every situation is unique. Yes, in the first, weeks and months and maybe, you know, a year, you you never want to eat in a restaurant. And that's fine if that's not, you know, good for you. You can, um, there's just so many ways to handle this, and it's on a case-by-case basis. Um, for me, I used eating out as an excuse to um, break my abstinence. I had to stop that pattern. So um, now if I eat out, it's that my family, they know that we have to wait and see if, um, you know, we pull up to the door, I go in, I check out the menu. If there's nothing from mom, we leave. And there's many, many other occasions where I just bring my food with me because I want them to have whatever they want. I don't care that they're eating, you know, whatever it is. Um, I just, food, I'm at a neutral plane with food. And that's what we offer to the newcomer is hope that they will not be baffled because that is what this disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. But God is there to help us, and God speaks to other people. And I have, you know, I could go on for an hour about all the different situations I've been in that I did not sit there drooling over food, um, but, you know, I got through it. And we do get to have a normal social life and everything. But I, you know what? I don't, I don't socialize with the people that I used to binge with. We just don't have that much in common. Um, but God has given me friends that I've had for decades through this program. I no longer burn bridges with people. And the ones who don't want want what I have, well, there's a lot of them too. And I don't hear from them and I don't beat down their door trying to get them to want what I have. But there are a lot of people out there who want to live in a place of neutrality and we are here to tell you it can happen. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Paula Mersher. Seem to be in the right place here. And here's what we're looking at here. This is Paul Recovered Compulsive Leader. Go or stay away, whichever seems best. Whoever went for best. I never went for best. But here today, and then there's, there's this other word, but, followed closely, capitalized. Be sure that you are on solid spiritual ground before you start and that your motive is going is thoroughly good. Now, I, I like where they put thoroughly. 
Well, my motives are so often good. i got to tell you, I mean, I wore my halo well. But that word, thoroughly, Paula, take another look. Take another look. Is it, are they thoroughly good? And are you on solid spiritual ground? Anything shaky there, girl? Have you brought God with you? Have you asked God first? There is the criteria for me. Did I ask God first? Should I be there? Am I safe and protected? And if those answers are confirmed within that inner resource of mine and it comes together, yeah, then I can go. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. We have time for one more share. Sharon? Good morning. This is Sharon, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Just really glad to be on the line with you. Thank you for being here. I the, Briefly, what I wanted to share in looking at these paragraphs, we're asking ourselves, should we go or should we stay? And I think of that avoidance is one of my biggest uh, character defects. I would would very much prefer in my uh, eating days to be in a dark room alone watching television eating. So when it came to recovery and the question was, should I go or should I stay? More often than not, it was that you should go. There's going to be food there for sure. But um, my most uh, common reaction was to avoid. So, but then how do I, so now typically it was to go just as as, uh, uh, they're saying here, um, we don't sit, uh, we don't avoid places. And then when we do go, first sentence, why sit with a long face in places where there is eating, sighing that the, about the good old days. In my case, the good old days would be sitting at home alone. Uh, so how do, I, how do I behave then when I go to these places? And what my sponsor told me was that you go and you be of service. And so I would often take my own food, and I still do uh, take my own food or eat beforehand and sit with other people who are eating and I keep my eyes open for who I can help. Where can I be of service? Can I help serve? I'll go help serve the food. I'll help pick up. I'll I'll uh, sit there and and uh, talk to people or listen to people, get to know people. And so I found that by not avoiding, I was expanding my uh, spiritually. I was growing spiritually. I was being sensitive to other people. I was listening. I was having that contact. So most often than not, the answer for me was, yes, go, if you can be of service in some way to someone else and keep your focus on other people the whole time you're there. And that way, you can be safe. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you for everyone who has shared. We will now close our meeting today with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Esther, would you read that for us, please? Yes. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. 
God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you bless you, and keep you until then.